like if, you know, for example, uh, riding a motorcycle around at night, and a, a, a beautiful night, the weather's just perfect in this uh, really cool city, riding around, having something to do, and there's a sense of hope about the future. That is, the future seems bright, right? That, that The idea that um, in the near future and perhaps even the further future, things are going to keep getting better and better and there's more and more opportunities for you and the people you know and love. And you're riding that motorcycle with your sunglasses on at night, of course, because the future's so bright. you got to wear shades. you got to wear your sunglasses at night, yes. And uh, that's one aspect of our world that when we look at the past, what we sometimes uh, reference or are aware of but not usually is how the people at that time viewed the future, right? Uh, my favorite ride at uh, Epcot Center down in uh, Orlando, Florida, when it was called Epcot Center, now it's just called Epcot apparently, was Horizons. It was a, a ride about the future, but the first half of the ride was about how people in the past viewed the future. And uh, that's a big thing because if you look at right now today October 2023 uh, the future doesn't seem so bright um, and this is of course a very there's very specific and also very vague aspects of this view of the future right um, I think that uh, a lot of things play into it right I feel like a lot of what each of us do moment to moment, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, is kind of make sure that we're setting our future self up for comfort, convenience, and adv advantage, right? So you're doing things now to help uh, your future self. So like, for example, me, a few hours ago, it was very early in the morning, and I'm like, you know, let me just do the dishes. <laughs> because me in a few hours will be so happy. And then I, I remember going down, I, I, I think, I, I don't know if I went back to sleep, or I was just doing something else that came back down oh i already did the dishes oh thank you thank you near recent past frank for doing the dishes for me right um so this is anticipation of the near future and then the far future but i think in general i think part of you know what happens in any era right uh, your situ the situation you experience is normalized i know that common wisdom people talk about this a lot how oh people of today and people have been saying this for decades now, you know, the average American, even perhaps an American that is, you know, lower on the economic scale, is, is living life better than a king would have in like the 13th century. You know, like our lifestyle, our creature comforts, access to food and communications and education and et cetera, et cetera, um, is, is so vastly improved from the past. And in fact, in today's world, um, it does re represent, I think, an a great um, improvement over what we, uh, you know, understand as the past. And, you know, I, I've been thinking about the past a lot lately. You know, when I went to Italy a month or two back, uh, you know, I was sort of struck with a sense of doubt that the past is real. You know, I, I think that um, being philosophical, there's no way to know that, for example, what I'm experiencing right now, feels like there's a past, but I could have just been freshly created by some cosmic being sitting here on my porch, and all of my memories of the past were all just concocted, fictional, in the moment. 
There's a movie called Dark City that I always sort of refer back to. I got to see that movie again where there's uh, all these people living on essentially kind of like a space station run by aliens. And every night their city, it's like one city, but they believe it's part of a larger world, um, is changed by the aliens every night. And the people's memories are also changed. Um, so there's an illusion of the past, but it doesn't really exist. And I, and I, yesterday, or no, not yesterday, the other day when I was, uh, last episode when I was talking about current events, what's going on in Israel right now, I sort of brought up an issue, which is that, and I think this is a, a legitimate issue that I brought up, and I don't know if very many other people are talking about it, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, the reality of the human world is that people don't live that long, right? So, Right, the oldest person on record is 123 years old, I think, 122 years old, and most people die far younger than that, obviously. So, in fact, um, you know, when you look at the 19th century, which it goes up to the year 1900, every single person in the world that was alive, even a baby born December 31st, 1900, they're all dead now. Every sing- every single one of them is dead, according to common wisdom. I, I mean, who knows if there's vampires, androids, demigods, whatever. But as far as we know, they're not. So we're all the new people, and the vast majority of the people on this planet are, are younger, probably born within the past. I, I, I'm sure this is a statistic we could find that, um, you know, probably you know, over 50% of the people on the planet right now are X years old or younger. So what would that number be? Uh, 35 maybe something anyway it just goes to show you that the majority of people on this planet have only been here for a few decades and we're all the new people right and yet we seem to be beholden to the rules regulations and traditions that were created by people who are now long dead right that is people in the past and the (laughs) 2000 years ago 500 years ago in the 1600s and the 1800s 1900s, whatever, they set up all these rules for society, right? Some of them are encoded as laws. They're encoded as religions. They're encoded as uh, traditions, right? That, yes, something like that is obviously very valuable. You know, if, if, we, if we had to reinvent how billions of people could get along, if there are billions of people. <laughs> Again, listen, I know, I doubt everything. You know, are there really billions of people? Is there really history? I don't know. But anyway, let's just use the common, not commonly accepted consensual thing. How do billions of people get along without, you know, on this planet? So obviously, standing on the shoulders of the people in the past, giants or not, uh, right? It's having that stuff from the past, those patterns, traditions, structures that were established in the past. It's very important. But as the new people, we don't have to, right, since the people that made the laws and the rules are, are dead and gone, we don't have to f- continue to follow those rules if we don't want to, right? If we feel that they're useful, absolutely, let's continue following those those rules. If we feel that they're uh, negative and destructive, let's just drop it, right? Because it's not like those people are going to come and punish us for not following their rules. They're dead. They're gone, Okay. Um, and I know you might say that we have moved past a lot of the stuff from the past, but I think what brought it up is the situation in Israel where we have two of the three major Abrahamic religions, uh, Islam and Judaism, and the the other one, of course, Christianity, and then there's 
a few like the Baha'i faith or whatever that are fringe ones. But, you know, it does seem that um, related to these Abrahamic religions, which are, I guess, the dominant religions on this planet right now, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of just in, a chaos, violence, bloodshed, mayhem related to these religions, right? And I understand that if you grow up in one of these religions, which I did not, I am not religious, I have never been religious, my family was completely irreligious, and not even particularly atheist, it's very much just sort of not even made it an issue, but um, that's what brought up the issue, the question that, you know, we've sort of been burdened, perhaps, if that's the right word, with these religious traditions from, certainly from the past, and everyone the humans related to that, these religions, are long dead, and they seem to be causing us mass problems today. Of course, you could argue on either side. You could say that, no, human nature is violent. Religions have actually tried to lessen the violence. Uh, so so to, to point to the religions as being the, the cause of it is wrong. I understand that. I understand that, but I still think an argument can be, can be made that it's the religions or the traditions themselves that are instigating and causing violence. You know, I think there's there's two ways of, of looking at it. So, obviously, built into these philosophical systems is that, no, humans were not involved in making these... Humans were involved, but the rules ultimately come from superhuman beings. Gods, demigods, saviors, etc. That's how I think you can... People that ask the same questions I'm asking, right... Well, why don't we just drop this? Obviously, look around the world. These, if it is human nature, whatever. But if it's not human nature, these traditions that we've picked up from the people that are now long dead are causing us huge trouble. Why don't we just drop it? Oh, we can't because it wasn't a human. It was a god that made it up. So therefore, we've got to keep following it. You know, and listen, you know me. I, I do tend to, uh, what's the right way of saying it? I do um, consider the supernatural as a uh, as a, what we consider supernatural concepts as having a decent percent chance of being legitimate uh, of of the supernatural. I don't want to say belief because it's it's, it's been my uh, my goal is to not believe anything, but simply to uh, consider all possibilities and then naturally, in my mind, assign weights or percentages to them in terms of how likely do I think they are to be valid, understanding that I cannot verify anything uh, directly myself. But anyway, um, so that's the, the, the question that came up, right? The idea of uh, why is... And I, and, I th and I was actually trying to find other people asking the same exact question. I don't know if I found people specifically asking it that, you know, why are we... why and, and religion is only one part of it. Our laws, right? Which I know we have changed our laws over time. And we are... There does seem to be some force that is kind of uh, moving us forward in terms of getting rid of bad laws and bad traditions from the past and here in the United States, which has a much more condensed history, obviously, just a few hundred years. Um, you know, the things that we, this country did in the past, again, all those people are dead now that started all this. Um, 
trying to move past uh, genocides and slaveries and all these other things. Um, so you could say, yes, there is some degree of moving past what was in the past. Um, where I was going with all this, because I discussed it on last episode, was that I realized I set up a dialectic of my own. A dialectic is just X versus Y. The dialectic I set up was um, should we be more or less should, – should we work harder to let go of traditions from the past that are hurting us today or do we – do we feel that it's so important to continue repeating the patterns of the past that we'll just live with the death, destruction, and mayhem that keeping things from the past causes? Obviously, there's also very good things than keeping things from the past causes, but I set up a dialectic. Should we be more vigilant in letting go of things from the past or less vigilant in letting go of things from the past? That's the dialectic I set up, right, in the discussion, almost subconsciously, really, both, but both – so this is the idea, dialectics, uh, sort of an X versus Y, can contain what seems to be a conflict between two philosophies. But at the, at the same time, both of them sort of agree on something that's kind of – right? The, what, the, what, what the two sides agree on is, is the thing that is, is being reinforced by uh, presenting the dialectic. That is, so the thing that's being – sort of hidden in that dialectic is that there is a past, that the, that the past is real. And what occurred to me to mo- this morning in the shower, shower thoughts as usual, there is something about water that gives you a different state of mind, the primal power of water, um, that, uh, right, what if there is no past? What if it is all just made up? So the idea that we're we're the people m- most people have i would i don't know the actual number but i would think that most people the majority of people on this planet are like 50 years old or younger so 50 years so what is that that, that that's like uh, uh, 1972 <laughs> you know jesus so you're saying and i don't know if that's the actual number but let's just say half the people on this planet were born in 1972 or, or later right we didn't do it we didn't have anything to do with this crap from the past um we didn't do these things, right? And yet we still continue to follow the rules and laws and religions of the people from the past. What if, right, the reason that it seems that people are so obsessed with following the rules of people who are dead is that it is all a setup. It is all fictional. Fictional? Fictional. Sorry. Fictional. There you go. It is th- that perhaps the world was created in 1972 and all of history is concocted and a fiction, right? And of course, there's many examples of this. Every kind of fiction set is the start of the story, whatever the story is. All the characters in the story remember a past, but that past is made up by the author, made up by the writer. There is no real past. So when I watch a TV show like The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, and there's all these characters that seem haunted by the past, there is no past. It's all made up. The moment the TV show starts or the book starts, here's all these people agonizing about the past. Hey, assholes, you're freshly created. That past is fake. Okay, sorry to say. Sorry to say, whatever you're agonizing over and you're ruminating over is all fake. It seems real to you, but it's fake, right? Um, so that to me seems like 
why are we so obsessed with following the rules of people in the past? Because we were written that way. <laughs> you know, it's our backstory. <coughs> I don't know, man. I know, this is all very nihilistic. I think that to delve into this aspect of world philosophy, uh, or philosophy of the world I find myself in, it, it does go to kind of... I mean, it does open up uh, a strain of hey, everything's meaningless, you know. Which I don't like. I do I do want things to be meaningful, and things do seem to be meaningful, but, I, but the sense that, no, there is real history, and everything is real, and it is heavy, it, it is part of what makes it meaningful, right? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is too many topics for such a so, 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 so early in the morning on a a chilly, beautiful day. What's going on across the street? They have some, some, obviously some sort of plumbing problems. There's all sorts of plumbing vehicles over there. The hell, those people just bought that house, and now there's all sorts of... I, I heard something. There's some par- problems with sewer lines or something. Yikes. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, today's Friday, the 13th of October, 2023. And uh, suppose that this the... the uh, the news of the day says that the Hamas, some someone in the Hamas organization that attacked Israel, called for worldwide uh, mayhem today. So everyone's scared that there's going to be attacks today all over the world. So. Hope not. I, I, I certainly hope not. Oh, where's that? I, I, I had the page here. I have this magazine. I remember I got it last episode or two episodes ago. Uh, Shindig Magazine, uh, issue 144. What a great magazine. I, I get it delivered to me from England every month. I just re up my subscription. Quite expensive, but it's well worth it, though. What a great magazine. You can find it at Barnes & Noble, which amazingly still exists in October 2023, at least, at least for now. Well, they're the last store standing after all their competition went belly up, like Borders and all the other big bookstores so they're it's, it's, it's kind of easy without competition to stay in business i suppose i was trying to find because there, there's this band i got really into this past week uh the peddlers uh, from uh, britain in the 60s and 70s and um their album uh, sweet london i'm gonna talk i'm gonna talk about that a little bit later but i don't know where i i can't find how i started on my peddlers journey I'm, I'm assuming it was in this magazine somewhere but i cannot find any reference to the peddlers it just sort of uh i was seeking out to get a copy of this album from 1972 called uh, sweet london by the peddlers it's not available on streaming it seems to be on youtube at least part of it is on youtube that's kind of a drag though um doesn't even seem to be available you, you can't even buy the mp3s like from amazon or anything um it was reissued on cd in 2006 but those are going for like 100 bucks the LP seems to be available for it's it's fairly rare, but it seems to be available for thirty forty dollars. But I just want to listen to it. I just want to listen to the damn thing. So finally, uh, after scouring the, uh, the 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 more questionable websites that have uh, download links for such things, all of them turned out to be fake. Like I I found one download it was like yeah here's the and I down, downloaded it and I'm like yes I'm I'm it's good I finally have this uh, this album. And uh, when I went, and I didn't even uh, d- uncompress it. It was a rare file or a zip file or something. It's and it said, "Oh, you need to find the the password to get decompress this." And it went to one of those scam websites, which was a real drag. 
finally I found one that was a legitimate download, uh, from <laughs> strangely from a Russian website, and uh, and it was it was a legitimate copy. And I was even saying if if I could buy like a MP3 download for like a reasonable like fifteen bucks, I would have done it. But it's not available. Just the album's not available at all. Um, I think it's on streaming in other countries, but not here in the U.S. Because I, I think I saw a link to it being streamed in um, maybe Britain. Um, it's again the band is called Peddlers or the Peddlers, P-E-D-D-L-E-R-S, not P-E-D-A-L-E-R-S. Peddlers, like Peddlers Village, like Smut Peddlers. Phil <laughs> the Peddlers, the Peddlers. Um, and uh, yeah, the album is called Sweet London. S-U-I-T-E, Sweet London. And it's the Peddlers and the Royal London Philharmonic Orchestra or something. Really, I mean, I listened to it like five or six times yesterday. Amazing, amazing album. I can't believe I never heard it before. It was, it is such an obscurity, but it feels like so wild. And it was sort of like, a, though it's a few years later, it was kind of a reference to like sw- the, swinging, the swinging London time. I'll play a little bit of samples of it. Wild album, man. Great. Uh, the peddlers in sweet london but i can't remember where at this journey started where did i hear about it because i mean i'm exposed to so much information online magazines i must have heard about it somewhere but i can't remember where i even looked at my web history i couldn't the first thing i had was just searching for sweet london i mean where why did i even think of it anyway um it relates in a way to this uh article here uh This is an article extracted from a book called Before It Went Rotten, The Music That Rocked London's Pubs, 1972-1976. So I guess in Britain there was this genre known as pub rock, which is not something that I'm particularly interested in, but this article, it relates more to the swinging London um, and that vibe, which I'm very interested in, understanding that it's 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 a romantic notion and that the actual swinging London was... If you were in London in that time period, most people didn't experience the swinging side of things. But Anyway, let me just read you a little excerpt here. It's about this uh, company called Fame Pushers. And uh, let me just read you this. This is uh, very interesting. In March 1969, when Stephen Warwick, a sound editor on films like The Bed... Hold on a second. <laughs> let me start again. I, I'm, I'm, hold on. Okay. Let's try this again. I'm sorry. In March 1969, when Stephen Warwick, a sound, a sound editor on films like The Bed Sitting Room and The Italian Job, the latter quite possibly the apogee of swinging London, met Eddie Moulton, a scientific executive who had been working in Canada. Moulton had been injured in a car crash but had access to funds. The two hatched plans to become movers and shakers on the London scene still the coolest on the planet at that point, and set up a network of companies to fund their objectives. Others were doing likewise at the time, notably David Hemmings via Hemdale and Robert Stigwood, but obvious comparisons would have been with Apple. Apple was like the Beatles' business. Like them, Warwick and Moulton aimed to set up a brand one that roamed around the pop world promoting music, film production, magazine publishing, fashion, and graphic design. 
They named themselves Fame Pushers and set up base at 295 Portobello Road, London W11, above the hippie head shop Forbidden Fruit. This had a mural by The Fool, salvaged from the Apple Boutique on Baker Street, across its frontage, and was a noted venue for buying clothes, incense, and antiques, as well as a place for staging photo shoots. So this is really interesting that um, that Apple Boutique, you know, from Apple Records, not that, yeah, Apple Core, I'm sorry. Um, the Beatles set up their business, Apple, and then they had this Apple Boutique, but it was incredibly mismanaged. And they had the artwork by this uh, art collective from Netherlands, I believe, called The Fool. So I guess that this, uh, these guys, fame pushers, they uh, recovered this uh, mural. And there's a, actually a, a black and white picture of it here in the magazine. Uh, I guess that's why they called it Forbidden Fruit, sort of a uh, play on Apple. Um, yeah, there's a, it's like hung outside the front window, and then there's like a cutout in the shape of an apple. There's this huge peacock, and then there's some figures, like a, a woman and a weird knight standing behind her and a weird little crone kind of character and someone with a mustache. It's very. I'd, I'm sure there's images of this with a higher resolution, but it's really interesting. And then their Forbidden Fruit logo is uh, has a mythological creature, like the woman with uh, six arms sitting in the lotus position kind of creature forbidden fruit and there's people hanging out in front of it that's so cool what are those little those little toy vending machines out front is that little gum gumball vending machines wow anyway let me continue this article but this is actually very 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 cool this idea of a head shop in 1969 no i'm sorry they didn't create the head shop they they based their headquarters above the head shop which was a separate organization forbidden fruit was a separate organization i'm sorry Top of their list was a plan to take over Red Sands Forts, an abandoned World War II anti-aircraft bastion in the the Thames Estuary, and convert it into a huge entertainment center, complete with light shows, music, dancing, overnight accommodation, and performance areas. The location selected had been used by Radio 390, one of the pirate radio stations that proliferated around the UK between 64 and 67. Warwick and Moulton's proposal would have been astronomically expensive, required licensing by the authorities, the forts were within territorial waters, and would have entailed partygoers traveling 50 miles out of London, followed by an eight-mile trip by boat to their destination. The idea was quickly abandoned. And so there's actually an image of this uh, Red Sands forts. It's absolutely amazing. It's like these uh, buildings almost sort of reminiscent of oil rigs, that buildings with guns on top of them, obviously they're anti-aircraft, on these pedestals in the water, connected by bridges. It's absolutely amazing. <coughs> and uh, I'd never heard of this before, but the idea that you could, you could make this into an entertainment center, you can go there with light shows and like hippies and psychedelic performances, and you can actually stay overnight there. What a cool idea. In fact, there was something very similar uh, when I was, uh, again, a month or was it only like a month month or two ago? Not even. Six weeks ago, maybe? Five weeks? When I was in Italy! I was in Venice, and we took the Vaporetto, uh, you know, the public transit boat, up to uh, Murano. And on the way, there was this island that was abandoned, and someone had purchased it to turn it into an arts center. 
Very similar, very similar to this idea, though a bit more, a bit closer to downtown Venice than uh, this would have been. But the idea that you take sort of an abandoned military-style base and turn it into this swinging entertainment center, that's very cool. I just want to read one more paragraph here that was kind of interesting. What, what else they So they gave up on the idea of turning this into an entertainment venue. Next up, and here they were onto something, was a 13-part TV documentary about Omar Sharif and his Bridge Circus, a group of wealthy card players who toured the world's casinos and luxury hotels, putting on exhibition matches and tournaments for the wonderment of the masses. The end product would have resembled a Bond film, lots of exotic locations, richly detailed plush interiors, opulently dressed men and fabulous women in the latest haute couture, gazing in fascination as millions changed hands. Budgeted at $250,000, they hired Ned Sharon to make the series. Finally, they sought to sign a band, partly to help out with the music for the film ventures and partly because, well, that was what you did and where you made serious money. So, um, I... Yeah, so this is just an excerpt. So don't say, did they actually make this documentary TV series about Omar Sharif and the Bridge Circus? I guess they were playing Bridge? I guess. Because yeah, there was a time when Bridge, the card game, was hugely popular. I don't think it's that popular anymore. Spades is an easier version of that to play. I, I've played quite a bit of Spades, but you know, it's a trick-taking game. Um... But anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't know whatever happened with all this. But I thought this was such an interesting idea. The, the idea, and it does relate to the idea of um, <clears throat> your view of the future. Like any, a, anything goes, anything can happen. We can turn these uh, gunnery bases into an entertainment, psychedelic entertainment center. Oh my God, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I thought it was a really cool, very inspirational. This is just some things that I've been uh, checking out the past few days. I should really see what happened with that. Anyway, I gotta, I'm got i going to go listen to uh, the peddlers now and uh, check back with you in a little while. All right, so I'm listening to uh, the peddlers with uh, Sweet London. And I have a rip of the 2006 CD, I think, with the bonus tracks, but I've deleted the bonus tracks from what I'm listening to. I just want to listen to the original work, which was just a, uh, an LP, so it's 37 minutes, I think, total uh, for the LP. No, no, we're there looking out. Oh, it's more of the plumbing vehicles. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I think this group was uh, sort of categorized under jazz or easy listening because I think, because let me see, some of their, I'm trying to see, they, they do have one compilation on the U.S. Apple Music that is, let's see, their earlier stuff, which apparently they, were, they did a lot of covers. But this one album, uh, at least, it does... Let me listen to some of the earlier stuff. I'd never heard of the Peddlers before. See, there's all this... The, the uh, 20th century keeps uh, dredging up new stuff. Or is it old stuff? <laughs> or is it freshly created? Yeah, so this is kind of like the sound... This is time after time. So this is totally not what Sweet London sounds like. So the, the singer has a very distinctive voice that I think can be a bit divisive. I like, I like his voice, though. But I think they were known for this type of uh, style, which is Murray's mood. 
So I never really heard this stuff, but there are other stuff. Right? So they were probably categorized under this, you know, style. And I do like this organ sound and everything. But Sweet London, I think, is a singular work that is totally different. Let me play a little bit of it. Um, that it, without the rest of their history, just listening to this album, it is so good and it seems so important, but it's so obscure. This is, for, this is the, the second part of uh, The Strange Affair, the first song on the album. Seasons can range Temperatures change Anyway, this to me feels more like a progressive rock than jazz. And then there's a three-part impressions uh, sort of uh, thing here. And they have this strange affair reprise, but apparently this is all, all all original music. I'm just sort of jumping around here. Some more avant-garde sounding stuff under L- London lights. Yeah, this is a good song too. So glad I found this record. There's thousands or tens of thousands of such hidden treasures in the 20th century. Or in light of the uh, theories I was talking about earlier, could this have just been recently created and inserted into the simulation here, if we're living in the simulation, as an old work, even though it's brand new. No, that's crazy talk. But this is definitely, this is not an easy album. Like, I feel like my, to my musical sensibilities, this immediately sounded good, and it's taken a few listens to really get into it. But it's definitely not an easy sell for people, uh, the nature of this music, but... I would say someone into progressive rock more would really get a lot out of this album. But I did find a link. I think it's from their website that talks about... Um, <clears throat> with some commentary on the album. Yeah. But this is an article by Bas Millenkramer from the Netherlands. Sweet London was the final album released by the original lineup of The Peddlers. Without question, this is their most most ambitious and artistically most successful project. The album contains only original compositions. The superb musicianship and taste of the peddlers is augmented by classically trained composer and rock keyboard player Peter Robinson, known for his work in Chris Farlow, Quartermass, Suntreader, Phil Collins, and many others. <coughs> of those, I only really recognize Phil Collins. Quartermass? I don't know. On Sweet London, Peter Robinson wrote instrumental pieces for the orchestra and for the band. His compositions add much depth to the work. It's almost a collaboration. The album was released on the Philips label in the UK in 72 and on EMI-distributed Odeon label in Europe. They have some uh, notes on differences of the graphics on the different versions. Three-piece suite called Impressions. Peter Robinson is a talented keyboard player with a very recognizable style on the electric Fender piano. Oh, this they're just going through song, song by song. 
But anyway, uh, I'm happy I found it. And uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, the consensual reality explanation is that, yes, this album came out in 1972. And uh, of the, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of albums that are out there. I'd never really crossed my path until recent, the past few days. The other explanation is that uh, there's something else going on in reality and uh, maybe it already existed or maybe it was freshly created as part of my narrative here. Am I a fictional character? <laughs> no. Listen, that, that's, that seems like a rabbit hole going into dangerous realms of philosophy. Can philosophies be dangerous? I think they can. They can also be very pleasing. Pleasing philosophies! Music. Being understood. Very, something very difficult sometimes. We just stood and looked at each other. bit later now. Talking about uh, treasures from the 20th century. Look what I found on the Internet Archive. El Mundo del Automático. Yeah, it's a, it's a vending machine magazine from Spain. Here's the issue number three from November 1961. Noviembre. However you say 1961 in Spanish. 61, I know it's part of it. but Look on the cover, they have this... Uh, a German auto automat, like a, a vending machine. That's so cool. What is this? Distribuar de películas para máquinas de... Oh, film for cameras. Okay. Pinball machines. I guess that's a related uh, thing. A little toy vending machine. Oh, yeah. Acorn brand. Remember that? Little toys in the vending machines. Yeah. Cigarettes, I guess. Uh, yeah. Pinball machines and vending machines. Look at this. And uh, double mint, Douglas, double mint chewing gum. Oh, wow. Here's a cartoon about vending machines. Dis, distribuidores Ventamatic. There's a shopkeeper with all these people trying to be so busy in the shop. And then here's like a weird devil creature with a, in a theater. But then the guy... Puts in a vending machine and everything's good. <laughs> what is a devil? It's like a cat devil type creature. What's going on in Spain in 1961? Encontro estando el a causa del aquel matreco. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, it's all the little kids. That's what they. Okay, so all the little kids that want to buy toys. There's a toy vending machine. Okay, or candy vending machine. Okay, I got. It. But they got a bunch of issues of this. Uh, El Mundo del Automático. Automatic world, I guess. Or vending machine world. <clears throat> See all the fun stuff you can find on the internet from the past? The past is real, damn it. It's real. It's really real. Please. How about this issue? It's so real, it's it's really real, man. Here's one from March 1963. Oh, look, a the pinball machine, a rancho. <clears throat> more pinball machines. I guess it's more pi pinball machines and, yeah, here's different vending machines. What is this? 
like a double pinball machine. Remember, they, they had one like Joust that was like, yeah. So it's more pinball machines at this point. I, I could dig that. <laughs> There's like a gumball machine, the Baby Matic, and the pinball machine uh, Competition. It's a soccer-based uh, pinball machine. And there's a, uh, a a jukebox that plays 45s. All sorts of fun stuff. Carrera de Caballos. Hmm. A lot of it's in text. I can't really read it, you know. <coughs> Here's a guy dressed up as an American Indian buying some Coca-Cola. La Historia, Las Razas y el Automático. <clears throat> that was, I mean, in 63, that was not considered offensive. So. <coughs> anyway, these are some great magazines. It's a user called uh, Retro Paper. It has a ton of great stuff. There was one called uh, just Pinball, number 32, that I was looking at. Uh, from like 85. Got some interesting stuff in there. Old magazines. Oh, look, this is this is so cool. It was a, uh, a poster for Silent Runnings with Bruce Dern. Silent Running, but in Spanish. Na, naves Misteriosas. I, I saw that movie such a long time ago. I need to see that again, Silent Running. Because the robots in Silent Running were really... <coughs> showed up in a lot of like the uh, Starlog magazines and the Starlog guidebooks and stuff. Huey, Dewey, and Louie, I think they were called. Yes, Kitty? Mr. Mojo? What do you want to say? Do you like vending machines? Only if they had cut treats in them, right, Kitty? Come on. Yes. Oh, yeah, they have some vi uh, pinball machines from Playmatic. I'm not familiar with these. The Raid and Nautilus. Must have been like a Spanish pinball company. Marble Madness, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this magazine. But each country had its own, like, pinball and vending machine, like, magazines and industries and stuff. And, you know, <clears throat> you'd get a glimpse of it in these magazines. Here's, like, a trade show, a pinball trade show in Spain, I guess. <clears throat> what does it say? Ha sido una feria in whatever. <laughs> I should. I, I took Spanish in school. I really should try to learn it more. I don't really know any languages other than English. <coughs> Kitty? Kitty, no! I know how to talk to kitties, though. Kitty? They don't use spoken language, but they, you can, they're very communicative otherwise. Yeah, I stopped by the supermarket earlier to pick up a prescription... They weren't ready yet, so so I so I, uh, I I headed down to the Barnes and Noble, and picked up a magazine. Oh, you want my chair now? See, I have I have my office chair here, and Mojo loves to steal it from me. Now he's gonna sit on my lap instead of stealing. Kitty, you want? He he does start whining when he when he can't steal my chair. Kitty, you want the chair? <laughs> All right, here, have my chair. <laughs> Hey, kitty, you can have the chair. Go on. You want the chair? Yes, he does. I have an alternate chair I use when the cats steal my chair. Yeah, I headed down to Barnes & Noble, which is, you know, like I said, like I said earlier, still existing somehow. 
and uh, I got a magazine, American Road. It's a magazine I do get from time to time. It's about going on road trips in the United States. But this one is, is uh, the cover story is Cartoonland. They do like themed issues. Getting animated in an automobile, including the Walt Disney Family Museum, Cartoon Cars, and The Simpsons, Springfield. So, and the cover is uh, Betty Boop and her cast of characters, Coco the Clown, the dog that is not Bonzo. <laughs> I, I realize that. There's two dogs, actually. It's all the Betty Boop characters. Let's see, because I, I flipped through it. It looked pretty interesting. Oh, wow, look, there's that H&C coffee sign in one of those cities in Virginia that I, I remember I bought a train set version of. The mystery mobile, the mystery machine, of course, the uh, Scooby-Doo. Hold on, let me get situated better here for looking at a magazine. Yeah, you, you usually see a Scooby-Doo van when you go to, like, a comic convention and stuff. Just trying to see. This. So it's all cartoon-related uh, road trip stuff. Trying to see if anything interesting here. Giant objects, giant sculptures, Dutch girl donuts. There they have ads too for road road. I, I do want to go on like a big American road trip. I know I just went to Italy, but next I really want to go to uh, just drive around America. You know what I'm saying? Maybe summer 2024. Cartoon cars. Oh look, here's the uh, Pink Panther mobile. Somehow the Pink Panther keeps cropping up. Still out there, though. I don't know how anyone, like, what's the, is there a current, I don't think there's been any cartoons of Pink Panther lately. The Mystery Machine, of course, the archetypical van from the cartoon. These are all, like, real-life models they made of the, are life-size mo- um, vehicles they made. The, the Flintstones car. Through the courtesy of Fred's two feet, do 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 do. Speed Racer car. You know, I I don't really remember seeing Speed Racer as I was growing up. This is Detective Gadget car. <laughs> that was past my. I was a little too old when Detective Gadget came around. The Pinkaboo. It's a cool car. <clears throat> yeah, this is a good. This is a good magazine. They only I, like, like they only have it like was it like quarterly or something? There's a giant uh, Rocky the Squirrel and Bullwinkle statue. Bright nights in Toontown. Oh, like oh yeah, there's the agency coffee. Uh, Roanoke, yes, because I saw I think I saw it in, when I did go to Roanoke once. Pink elephants, yeah, neon signs with ca- cartoon animals, and and the classic cartoon pig for a place that serves pork. Of course, the pigs always look so happy, even though they're being slaughtered. In the cartoon versions, oh, very cool neon, all these neon signs. It's a good magazine. Tons of neon signs. What about the Betty Boop angle? Is there like a whole Betty Boop thing going on here? Or? There's a Disney Family Museum. That looks cool. Where is that? I should go there. Hmm. Do they say where it is? Oregon, maybe? I don't know. 
Disneyland's Mr. Oh, there's a whole article about Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Of course. The, the long-lost Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. However, whatever corporate executive decided to destroy Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is, is such a complete asshole. Oh, look, there's Dick Nixon riding uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Wow. It looks like he was having a jolly time. He's so happy. I think I think they're just they're just leaving where where they uh, get killed and go to hell in the ride. You know, it's just fun little kids ride, and you you get run over by a train and you die and you go to hell. The end. <laughs> and Dick Nixon is smiling. Well, that was an amazing hell. That was an amazing hell. Simpsons. Yeah, I'm very so tired. I can't deal with the Simpsons. I have no interest in the Simpsons. They annoy the hell out of me. The Popeye Museum in Chester, Illinois. Wow. We're just talking about Popeye on the uh, exit ramp. Like what are, Popeye's not as popular as it used to be, but it's a whole store of Popeye. I could, I could dig that. Maybe you should go to all the cartoon museums and stuff in America on a road trip. You know what I'm saying? This will be a good reference book for that. What is this? What is this? There's a, a giant statue of one of the residents with a giant eyeball head. What is this? David Land? There's a lot going on here. Gus's world-famous fried chicken. The best fried chicken in the world. Santa Ana in Oakland. Mm. <clears throat> Very cool. See, ma magazines are still relevant. And they were they were really like the internet before the internet. Just images and text and all sorts of different departments and all sorts of different information. Yeah. What was the other thing I found in a magazine? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, this is the this is the one. It's from an ad in um True magazine for Today's Man, May nineteen seventy three. And it's an ad for a whiskey called Early Times. I don't believe this is still being made. Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. 86 proof. This is a whiskey that made Kentucky whiskeys famous. And a drink they created, a cocktail called the Pussycat. Uh, congratulations, you've just given birth to a 10.5-ounce Pussycat. And apparently they made their own, uh, <clears throat> they made their own glasses for this with this uh, Pussycat logo, the Pussycat. And you get these little packets of uh, of a mixer, like a powder, that you would mix in. And here's what the ad says from 1973. Nice going, America. We knew you could do it. Make the world's most playful drink. The early times, Pussycat. The delicious orange sweet sour that mixes up quick as a cat. All you need is a little bartender's instant Pussycat mix. Early times and a splash of water. But don't just take our word for it. Mix yourself another. Better yet, mix up a whole litter of early times pussycats and have a party. Ask for instant pussycat mix at your favorite food or liquor store to get a set of four 10.5 ounce pussycat glasses and four packets of instant pussycat mix. Send two ninety five to early times pussycat glasses. P.O. Box 378, Maple Plain, Minnesota. 55359. Offer valid only where legal, limited time only. This pussycat drink is illegal, damn it, in our area. 
the hell in, in Maple Plain, Minnesota? Where the hell's that? They have a huge warehouse full of these packets of flavored powder and the glasses. Where is Maple Plain, Minnesota? Let me see. Maple Plain, <clears throat> Minnesota. Hmm. Is that near where I went to college in the alternate reality? Uh, yeah, it is. Actually. It's, it's, it's in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. It's uh, a bit to the west. Okay. It's a very small, very tiny little area. Where's the warehouse, though? Proto Labs. Yeah, there's a few uh, like industrial areas. Like here, this little office park kind of area. So maybe it was one of these. We can't tell because it was the P.O. box, but one of these. Yeah, it's like an office park kind of place. In 73, they were taking all these orders for pussycat glasses. Didn't I, uh, didn't I have a link to that? I thought I saved a link to the, uh, yes, some, someone had a more recent article about it. <coughs> How you can make your own pussycat. This is uh, from food.com. The pussycat was a cocktail created by early times as an instant mixer for their bourbon. It's a sour variant, but it was so much more. Mixing bourbon in sweet and sour doesn't even come close to the miracle of the pussycat. They even sold pussycat glasses, which were short but tapered with a short stem. The glass was an excellent marketing coup because it separated the pussycat from just any sour and made it elegant without looking feminine. Short stem, not long, angles, and not, and not curves. Anyone could enjoy a pussycat, and any home bartender could look good making one, perfect every time, thanks to the instant drink mix. Alas, the instant pussycat is gone, leaving us with only memories. Or is it? <laughs> and here's uh, someone's this recipe for it. Is it early? Well, I don't know where you're going to get early, early times bourbon. Is this still available? I've, I have never seen, I've never, ever seen this. Let's see if it's still around. It is still around. Wow. I, is it really? Uh, I don't know. There's, there's earlytimes.com. They're still... They don't, even have, they don't even have the pussycat on their site? What the hell? Wait, wait, they gave up on the pussycat? This, this is ridiculous. And there's a movie? There's a movie about... About the pussycats or the whiskey? Travis, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? How's it going? Good. Hey, listen. So I know you just returned from Afghanistan, and I heard that you're dealing with PTSD. Wait, what? This really great opportunity to go down to Florida and speak to a graduating classic. Is this, does this really? I don't know if this is really related to it. Is it? Is it related? I mean, uh, <laughs> let me skip ahead. I mean. It's like, a mo it's like early times the motion picture, but it really has nothing to do with, with whiskey. And my dedication. Okay, I really have no idea what that's supposed to be about. It's very confusing. You can turn the site grayscale <laughs> if you want. <laughs> what is wrong with this website? Okay, so they have like, are this like a military angle here? It's like military bourbon or... So it won all these film festivals? Listen, I don't know what I'm looking at on this website. Let's forget about this, okay? 
Yikes. But I want to see if they have those uh, the pussycat glasses uh, available. I saw that some people had those packets uh, for sale. You know, there's those websites that show old auctions online. I don't know if it would still be good after all these years, but... Oh, yeah, you can get... Look, Pussycat glasses. Yeah. eBay, 1972. Wow, a whole set of them. Six for $75. Wow. They're out there. Etsy, there's similar... People are selling them on Etsy. 25 for two. Yeah, I don't really want. I don't need that many. I, I only really, because you know, like when they put the graphics on the on the glasses back then, you probably can't put it through like a modern dishwasher, because it'll probably destroy the graphics on the on the glass. You know, I think that's what killed like the milk glass. You know, Fire King mugs and stuff. Is that even the mugs themselves had like a glossy surface? But I think they were incompatible with the modern with with the dishwashers. You know. All right, enough of this. Enough. We've had our fill of the pussycat. Anything else good in this magazine? Of for men, it's a men's magazine, but not like it's not like you know naked pictures and stuff. It's like men's activities, like uh, I don't know, whiskey and stuff, and bears and cars and stuff. <clears throat> Let me see if there's anything else good here. Why can't I? There's something wrong with this website. I, I I have to reload it. It's like I, I can't. The controls are not on there. What happened? Uh, hold on. Let's see. Okay, here, I, I I figured it out. True for today's active man. New medical mystery in John F. Kennedy case. True reports. Cars. How to get two two hundred thousand miles out of your car. New safer tires to use. How to Catch a Trophy Bass. Divorce. Men Fight for Equal Rights. Book bonus from Games Doctors Play. Bear Hunting Adventure. Eight-page special. Best 1973 places for active men to fish, golf, ride, camp, boat, hunt, dive, vacation, and more. Yeah. Good stuff. Anyway, anything else good here? I think that's about it for now. Yes. Any more good vending machine magazines? I guess I could just search for vending machine magazines. Maybe I maybe I missed some. I could have missed some actually. What? Oh, I, I put Vendong instead of Vending. That's not good. Let's see. Vending Machine Magazine. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of the results are not actually vending machines. Oh, what was that one called? Vending Times? That was a good one. <laughs> what am I doing? I need to... I gotta wake up. 
Oh, vending times, 1976 to 2015. Wow, a whole... The vending machine project? The, the chaos collection? What? It's like so much vending machine content out here. <laughs> what is going on? No preview available for the vending machine project. see what they have in here this collection contains no viewable items <laughs> great thanks for that thanks for no items that's real helpful please please anyway today's episode is called coriander communique and uh, wow I really love how that show art came out it's uh, kind of as I was describing at the beginning of the show some 80s dude riding around on a motorcycle at night in this city. And uh, so how this all got started was I heard some phrase Korean communications. Uh, and I really like Korean communications. There was something about that Korean communication, you know, be Kore, commune, Coco, you know. And I thought I should Coco. No, that, that's a song. That's an album by uh, that long forgotten band, uh, Supergrass, yes. Anyway, I was, uh, so I'm like, Korean communications, that's kind of a cool phrase, but it's really not something I can use as a title, Korean communications. It doesn't sound good. So I started looking for words that sounded like Korean and came upon coriander, which is a spice. Kind of felt like it had a little bit of hippie, um, uh, resonance, you know, kind of like, are you coming to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. <laughs> you know, kind of like a acid, acid folk kind of thing. Coriander, which I did not know is also uh, it, it, coriander is the same as cilantro. I guess there's cor coriander seeds, and cilantro is the leaves of the of the plant. Cilantro itself, a rather some people love it, some people hate it. I, I I dig it. I can dig cilantro. I guess some people have a genetic disposition that it tastes like uh, like some sort of weird, like disgusting shampoo to them or something. But anyway, coriander. So I saw say coriander communications. That sounds like a cool kind of hippie thing. And so I looked it up, and there is actually a company in India called Coriander Communications. So I don't want to step on their toes. Not that it, there would be much overlap. The title of an obscure podcast and some company that's probably long out of business in India. But anyway, I, I, I'm like, communi communique is another word which feels very kind of like 70s. A communique, it's a sort of a government uh, communication, a government like a press release or something, a communique or an official document or something. So it feels like kind of like a James Bond kind of thing or, you know, kind of a intrigue, espionage kind of thing. So... I thought coriander communique sounded like something, and no one else has used it online, as far as I can tell. Uh, so I decided to use coriander communique. It's, it could be kind of like a, it's a cool title. Um, so I was looking for a font to typeset it in, and I, I, I go to this, there's this Japanese website, um, Daylight Fonts, I think it's called. And uh, there's a uh, letter set font called uh, Company by Martin Waite, actually, and uh, I auto-traced a very low-res uh, image of the font 
in Illustrator, and it gives it a very rough look. And I, I typeset uh, c- uh, Coriander Communique. Decided to keep the uh, accent mark on the last E, which is optional when spelling it in English. There was an album by uh, Dire Straits called Communique. I really only know that one album by then, uh, Di- Brothers in Arms, you know. You do the walk, do the walk of life. Is that the one? And of course, I want my MTV. That song that's been somewhat banned across the radio because uh, of a word they used in it. But anyway, um, yeah, so I typeset it in that font and that rough auto trace. And it looks great. Look at that. Uh, so then I'm like, I want to find an image to go along with it. And I went to pixabay.com. It's a site that has a public domain or essentially public domain images. Uh, images that you can use freely, op- open source images. And I searched for Night City, which I usually search for because images of cities at night is one of my favorite things. And, uh, I saw all the usual ones. I, some of that I even used as show art in the past. I'm like, ugh. Let me, let me sort by new. And perhaps unsurprisingly, all the new images are AI generated. I'm like, ugh. Really? Even though the last, now, now three episodes I've been using some aspect of AI imagery. I, just, I wanted to get away from that as I just don't really like the look of it. But this image came up, okay, that you see, this dude on the motorcycle. And uh, I, I instantly fell in love with this image. It's by user anned14. And they have a website, songtexttoart.com. Um, I looked at the rest of their images, and it just looks like the usual AI stuff, which it has a particular look. But this image, wow, it's incredible. It has such an 80s vibe, especially like an, an 84 vibe, you know. It feels very much like, you know, it gives you like a vibe of like Duran Duran, Thomas Dolby, like AHA, like Nick Kershaw, mid-80s vibe. Right, a, a bit of a resonance with the, the Nagel artwork, though, just a little bit. Um, this dude with a, <laughs> wearing sunglasses at night on his motorcycle, <laughs> and if you and of course, if you look closely at it, like he's not even holding the handle. He's like, it's just like in every AI image. If you look closely at it, there's some things are very wrong with it. But um, I just love this image. I thought it was great, and uh, I'm like, listen, it's an AI image, whatever. But I'll use it because I'll make an exception because it's so great and it just works so. I think my typography for Coriander Communique works so well with that. Um, <clears throat> then I, I, I just typeset the Overnightscape in a, a, you know, Helvetica italic and uh, threw the Ansel Radio logo in there. And that's it. So <laughs> I love this. It's definitely, it, it, it definitely seems like it could be a, an album or, or a movie from uh, the mid-'80s. But anyway, it, sort of, it feels like some sort of uh, secret agent kind of thing. But what what is it? It brings to mind uh, that um, Duran Duran video, "New Moon on Monday," great song off Seven and the Ragged Tiger, of course. Was he riding a motorcycle in that one? I light my torch and wave it for the new moon on Monday. Oh look, advert. Look, look, so here's a good example of an ad. Right, they're selling these little like these little hand these little drums. It's like like six inches across, and you, it it looks like something that maybe it costs thirty bucks. And you go to the website, how much does this cost? <laughs> Three, oh, the little one is two hundred and sixty-five dollars. The big one is three hundred and eighty. Really, two hundred and sixty-five dollars? What the hell? 
a lot of times you see ads for things, and then there's this sticker shock when you click on it. What the hell? How the hell could it cost that much money? Ladies and gentlemen, comment ça va? What? I don't remember this part. Bienvenue ici ce soir pour voir le plus étrange, le plus beau spectacle du monde. Et toi, tu connais ça? Spectacular of the world. Allons voir le mariage. Oh, here's Simon LeBon is meeting someone in the theater. I don't remember this part at all. Oh, yeah, that, they have that cool Duran Duran symbol from that era. Kind of like these jagged lines. I, I used to love that symbol. Oh, yeah, he is riding. So this is definitely... Or, there's like a motorcycle chase. There's this mysterious woman. In his, so maybe it's maybe it's a... Picture the lizard mixture and a dance on the even tide. Maybe it's inspired by New Moon on Monday. So soul of which I deny. It again, but could I please rephrase it? Maybe I can catch a ride. Couldn't really put it much plainer, but I'll wait till you decide. Yeah, they had that cool symbol. Is that called the Duran Duran symbol? I don't know. It was really only for that one album. They, the, whatever the graphic designers were on that album were amazing. Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Duran Duran has had a lot of different band logos. Oh, look, you can get that as a tattoo. I mean, this logo is cool and all, but it just it feels too slightly adjacent to a swastika in subtle ways to do much with it, honestly. <laughs> I know it's not real. It's not. It's not. But it just it has kind of like some of those vibes going on graphically. It's kind of like two it's sort of like two italic X's kind of merged together. Was it Malcolm Garrett? Graphic design. Okay. Is that it? Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, sucked on these rabbit holes. Now, let me look at the Seven and the Ragged Tiger cover. And of course, there was a song called Seven and the Ragged Tiger, but it was. Uh, I play it on the other side sometimes. It's. Uh, it's only a demo. Eventually, uh, merge into a song called The Seventh Stranger. But here's how it sounds. Aluminum alloy swivel no, stand it's not an aluminum alloy swivel stand. Get out of here. Love this song. I wish they would make this a real song. Cover the cover art. Let's see. All 
I remember I got this for Christmas one year, this album. I, just, I still have my copy of Seven and a Ragged Tiger, I believe. And the, the idea was like uh, the five members of Duran Duran and like their manager and one other person, Seven, and the Ragged Tiger was sort of chasing fame and success, was known as the Ragged Tiger. Yeah, the cover has a... Uh, has that symbol in the lower right, but then also like a moon symbol, a tiger eye in the in sort of a compass rose, all sorts of stuff going on. Great stuff. How did I get on this topic? Oh, because the show. Okay. Yes. Going off on tangents, always tangents. Oh, here's something I I saw when I was waiting online at the pharmacy at the supermarket. I got an ad on on uh, my uh, stream, whatever. Because on the Android phones, you just swipe to the right when you're on the home screen and you get all these like news stories. And I just do it like without even thinking anymore. It's sort of like, because there's always something new and different, but it can be quite annoying. But there was this uh, site, and it had this thing, the uh, scale model, <laughs> the scale model, I guess it's a model kit, I don't know, of a uh, international cryptozoology museum. <laughs> it's awfully specific. I mean, let me see what they're saying. What, what is this? How did they, I guess because I've been searching for dioramas and miniatures and stuff lately. Yeah, and the logo, International Cryptozoology Museum, it looks very 90s, which is very cool. Uh one-of-a-kind Sasquatch memorabilia. This sturdy International Cryptozoology Museum miniature-build model is great for train layouts and scenery, slot car tracks, or simply a desktop or shelf conversation starter. <laughs> uh, what is that model of a museum you have on your shelf? Ah, glad you asked. It's a great conversation starter. <laughs> That's some conversation. Bigfoot memorabilia collectors and Sasquatch enthusiasts. Oh, there's so many Sasquatch enthusiasts out there. And Bigfoot researchers will love this detailed, detailed crypto. Well, so there's other cryptos besides that. There's the Jersey Devil, for God's sakes. Uh, a great roadside attraction model that will bring back memories of other roadside attractions. <laughs> Makes a great gift. <laughs> a gift to you, a cryptozoology museum model. Uh Photo real features include illusion rooms with rear garage. What the hell is an illusion room? Opening doors, dormers. Do I know what dormers are? Porch and awnings. These items are not made from plastic. It is made from flex stock, a proprietary, proprietary cardstock material on a mild luster finish. So it's just like paper? It's like cardboard, basically? I can't tell. I want it, though. It's only $30. No, I don't want it. Yeah, it looks like it's made of cardboard, though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to see. They, they, they have soda, ice cream, popcorn, and they have vegan They have vegan items? Vegan something. Oh, there, there's a yellow figur figurine's head is vegan. I'm glad they have vegan options at the model museum. <laughs> They have a loading dock. I thought the thing looks like they had like the Loch Ness monster in one of the images. This is actually pretty cool. 
It's, it's at InnovativeHobbySupply.com. Oh, yeah, there's a picture of, like, a Loch Ness monster, a plesiosaur-type creature. And they have little figurines and stuff, but I don't know, like, what exactly do you get? How it's made, how it's assembled. Hmm. And they have all sorts of other things, like cinema buildings, bookstores, all sorts of things. Gas stations, trackside diner. Hmm. I need more information on this stuff. Hmm. I'm getting obsessed with all this pointless, pointless, pointless stuff. Hey, I'm on the porch now, having a pipe. Tobacco pipe. Since I ran out of cigars and trying to smoke less. I am smoking less. I'm not smoking every day. Just, just you know, this is an English blend. A lot, a lot of Kia and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, um, as I've been talking about in the last few episodes, I've been watching the new Star Trek TV show, Strange New Worlds. And I had only seen, like, one episode, or not even an episode, um, when uh, whatever company, Paramount or whatever the hell the company is, started making these new TV, Star Trek TV shows, such as Star Trek Discovery, I watched like at least the first two seasons of that, and I thought it was really terrible, really bad. It was just bad writing and annoying characters and um, just not at all, did not feel like Star Trek at all. It was horrible. Okay. I don't know what the hell they did. The Klingons had this different they had this completely different look and they it was just completely insane. How can you take something like Star Trek, which has such a rich, incredible history, and ruin it? And then somehow they got Patrick Stewart and they did a a Picard series. I watched the whole first series. That was god awful, even worse, right? To me, and I I'm a fairly big Star Trek fan and uh like, what the hell? Star Trek is something very specific. There's a certain comfort to Star Trek. It's basically you get to know the characters and you're hanging out on the, on the starship with them. And they have a different adventure every week, right? That was the formula for Star Trek. Especially Next Generation and Deep Space Nine as, I think, the best of Star Trek. It's something very specific and, and just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes and of course there's original series there's Voyager, there's Enterprise, there's so many others in the past and all pretty much followed the same formula it's um, a story of the week or two stories of the week yes, some overarching storylines that were going on but there was definitely um, stories per week it wasn't like most TV series now on streaming it's kind of like one big story per season you know, and each episode is just a part of the story. And that's, I think, more what Discovery was doing, I, I believe. Um, so I was uh, incredibly disappointed in, in the new Star Trek shows, and I was ready to give up. But I was interested in, uh, in uh, Strange New Worlds, right, which takes place on the Starship Enterprise before 
the original series starts, right? It's inspired by the pilot for the original Star Trek with Captain Pike in number one um, as, as giving sort of hints as to what happened on the Enterprise before Kirk got there, right? Because even in canon, I think Pike was did appear in that um, a double up sort of the cage, right? That was based on the the, the uh, pilot. I actually watched the pilot, the cage. Um, very interesting to see how it relates to Strange New Worlds. But I'm on to season two now of Strange New Worlds, which is fairly came out fairly recently, I think. It is so good. It is real Star Trek. Somehow, some way, after the garbage they've been spewing out, they made a real Star Trek series. I am absolutely amazed and stunned, and I have to give them credit. Somehow they've redeemed themselves. Kind of similarly to Star Trek, where that uh, the Star Star Wars, I'm sorry, the Star Wars TV shows have been pretty bad, but then Andor was fantastic, and Ahsoka was better than Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and uh, Obi Wan. You know, it, it's you almost give up on these companies that are the those in charge of such treasured pop culture institutions, and it's so frustrating to see them fail, but then. They can succeed as well. So Strange New Worlds is so good, especially the guy that plays Spock. So like the, the only real main characters you'd see from the original series are um, Uhura and Spock, basically, right? Is there, are there any others? Yeah, Nurse Chapel as well. And also Captain Kirk is in it. I, I, yeah, he's in it now too, so... Uh, they're all recast, so which I think is what you have to do. Which I think in Star Wars, they did recast Han Solo for the movie, but I think they need to just recast Luke and Leia and ev- and everyone, right? I know they recast Lando too, right? In uh, in one of them, recast. Don't worry about recasting. the 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 Kirk is fine. Everyone is good, especially the guy that plays Spock. Because he was in it a lot. I think it was the same guy who was in it a lot in Discovery. I didn't like him at all when he was in Discovery, but the guy who plays Spock now, the Spock character is so good in in Strange New Worlds, so likable. And they have that perfect balance of humor, silliness, sexual tension, and uh, idealism. That really is what Star Trek is all about. And, uh, you know, Captain Pike is a great character, very different, a bit different than his uh, only appearance, you know, in the pilot and in the cage. Uh, the guy who played it was Anson something, Anson Mount. That guy's really good. Everyone's good. And it was a, it was a Rebecca Romaine who plays number one, who has an actual name now, Una something. And the other characters that are not part of the original Star Trek, uh, like Erica, the navigator, and... Uh, the doctor and uh, and that that Andorian guy Hammer, who's only in the first season, was really good. Anyway, what a pleasant surprise! Strange new worlds on the Paramount Plus streaming network. One of dozens that you thought you were saving money by getting rid of your cable. Now you're going to spend more with all these damn streaming services, for God's sakes. Another show that I really knew nothing about is called Gen V. It is a spinoff of The Boys, the superhero TV show uh, on 
sorry, streaming show on Amazon Prime Video. And this one is really good. And uh, this one is coming out like one episode a week now. So you got to wait a week to see the next episode. It's about a superhero college. Really well done. Great characters. Really impressive. A great show. A bit gory and violent for my taste, but such great characters, such a great TV show. I'll, I'll accept all the violence. I don't like the violence, but I get that's kind of like they, they go for extremes and gross outs and things like that on the show. But really solid show. Great Again, great characters and all sorts of fun stuff going on. The other show I've been watching is Loki Season 2 on Disney Plus. Is that what it's called? Disney Prime? Disney Plus? I thought the first season of Loki was okay, so the character Loki, the brother of Thor from the Marvel superhero universe... Uh, becomes part of this time-traveling agency. The second season, though, whereas it has some... uh, It has some interesting aspects. It feels like the writing is bordering on utterly incoherent. I have no idea what's going on. I I, I watched the last season a year or two ago. I I, I don't... What's going on, it makes no sense. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. I do like I do like Sylvie, who's a, a you know an, an alternate reality version of Loki, um, who who sort of dropped out of the time traveling scene and decided to work at a at a McDonald's in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> That's kind of a cool thing, but you can tell there's there's trouble with the writing on that show. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, it's incoherent almost. Badly, it, it feels like it, it. It went from writer to writer to writer, and it just—it's a big mess at this point. I see what they're going for, but it's, yeah, classic uh, bad TV, bad streaming TV. That is streaming. Anyways, in other nerdy entertainment news, um, I do have a uh, a full uh, Mame ROM set, not just ROMs, but software list as well that I downloaded from the Pleasure Dome um, before it shut down. Um, MAME is an emulator originally for arcade games but eventually it expanded incorporating MESS which also did um, consoles and computers, handhelds and so many other things, pinball machines, into one program. MAME is uh, still going as a project. They have a new version like every month or something. So a full ROM set and a full software list set pretty much has every arcade game and every console game and every computer game up till a certain up till around 2000 and uh, that's how they had it on Pleasure Dome and I think that the uh, the the Pleasure Dome torrents are still going to some to some degree there's a there's a page Pleasure Dome ROMs you may be able to find it uh used to be very strict with their ratios, but a couple years ago they just shut down unexpectedly, completely shut down. But especially those software lists, what an amazing... So if you want to play anything you could imagine, ColecoVision, Vectrex, Atari 2600, even um, Dreamcast, even PlayStation 1, everything. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't go as far as PS2 at this point. But, uh, but even the like, obscurities like... The computer I had when I was a kid, a TI-99-4A, they have all that software and the cartridges they had there. That's another thing I'm fascinated with is 
The home computers that had cartridges, Atari 400, 800, um, TI-99, VIC-20, Commodore 64, and then MSX, which we didn't have here, and Sinclair ZX-80 or whatever they called it, ZX-80. Um, so many of those. They have all the like full ROM sets for everything. So I really enjoy just exploring it and playing the games and looking at the games. Uh, in fact, the other day I, I just started playing Rygar kind of randomly. I think I was looking for Rastan, but I, Rygar and Rastan are very similar. They're both uh, arcade games that uh, star kind of a generic Conan the Barbarian type guy fighting a ton of monsters, side-scrolling. You know, you're scrolling to the right. I think Rygar was first, and I think Rastan was the next year. So Rygar is Tecmo, I believe, and then Rastan is Taito. And one of the best things about playing these games on MAME is you can get cheats. There's a the Pugsy's cheat file. So most games have cheats, so you can activate a cheat such as invincibility. So listen, I don't really want to play Rygar regular because I'll, I'll die in like the first level. But if you put cheat mode on, you can put on invincibility and infinite lives, right? And it that in- allows you to explore these games at much deeper levels to have regardless of your skill at the games. So I started playing, I was playing Rygar and I'm like uh, going level by level and I started searching how many levels are there in this game? Turns out there's 27 levels in Rygar and at the very end there's a there's a boss that, it, I mean it seemed easy because I had the cheat mode on but one boss in a room and then the game ends which is interesting for an arcade game because a lot of arcade games just went on forever and ever you know so, yeah, Rygar was kind of fun to play in cheat mode. The only way you can die is if you fall off a cliff, then you really do die. You, there's no way to prevent that death. The other ones, it, it just sort of turns off the collision so the monsters can't kill you, you know. Rygar was on a ton of systems, including the Atari Lynx handheld. Never one of my favorite games, so it was interesting to play through it. Um, these days, there's a, if you want to get into this stuff... There's an incredible opportunity if you're if you have Windows, uh, and it, the thing is, if you're into games, the Macintosh computers are not for games, and you should know that already. So, if you right, Macintosh not for games, you right, Windows is for games. So uh, there's a site called ArcadePunks.com, and there's a um, these all-in-one downloads uh, for essentially arcade front ends. You know, you know the people that have these um, actual arcade machines in their house that have like thousands of games in them. Well, you can play it on your PC as well. Um, what's these bugs? Little insects flying around here. Um, and it, it says if you go to arcadepunks.com, it's a series called CoinOps. And if you if you download CoinOps, you just launch it and it just works, and you. Uh, can play th- hundreds, if not thousands, of games. And with the coin ops, there's like these expansion packs. I loaded all of them up. It is really incredible, beautiful interface, tons of games, even games that I can never get to work on regular, um, emul- like on MAME, like um, Scud Race sort of works, which is a. Sega had all these great driving games in the 90s, like Scud Race and uh, Daytona 2 and stuff. Very hard to emulate. There's one game that I still can't get emulated is uh, King of Fighters 11, you know. Is that the one, King of Fighters 11, right? Yeah, yeah. I know you can emulate it, but it's just a lot of work. But this coin ops, it just works 
generally. Some games, the controls are pretty wonky, but in general, it just works. And there's an interface. It shows you the preview screen, a video preview screen, everything. They're big downloads, but, man, they're cool. Coin ops on Arcade Punk's. It's all free. <laughs> is it piracy? I don't know. Most of it is kind of like uh, stuff that's been abandoned. Technically, I suppose it is. But it's so fun. Who cares to play all the old video games? But anyway, um, I was in Maine with that Pleasure Dome set, and uh, I found this. I, I was. I figured I would play uh, Stargate, which is a sequel to Defender from Williams. I know was never good at that game. So I tried playing that on cheat mode, and it's... It, it, even on cheat mode, that game is tough, because it has all these very wonky control system, and uh, the Inviso, and all these different things. It was it's, it's, it's a game that you really have to devote a lot of time to. But I saw, when I searched for Stargate, uh, a game called Alien Arena. And I started playing it, and I thought it was a hack of Stargate, but it was a completely different game. His character, the screen was divided in two, and you were sort of picking up these flashing dots. It was like... What the heck is this? I, I I couldn't even figure it out. So I looked it up, and it's this really interesting story about Alien Arena. And uh, in this case, if you're if you're a stickler for uh, legal ROMs, this can be downloaded legally. It's on MameDev.org. There are some ROMs, such as Robbie Roto, which is, I don't know, it's sort of uh, an effed up version of Dig Dug, which that's also free. There's a few a few free games if. The copyright holders allowed them to be downloaded, but anyway, uh, this one you can actually download legally if you would like. Alien Arena by Duncan Brown, 1985, and this is from MameDev.org. Let me read you this. This is a really interesting story. Test, test. Are we still going here? What's going on here? Yes. Okay, here we go. Uh, thanks to the... This is uh, Alien Arena, Duncan Brown, 1985. Uh, thanks to the kind generosity of Duncan Brown, the original ROM images for Alien Arena have been made available for free, non-commercial use. Before downloading, you must acknowledge that you understand these images are to be used only for non-commercial purposes. Do this by checking the box below the download button. Okay, yeah, listen. No one's going to use this for commercial... I, I doubt they're going to use this for commercial purposes, but uh, who knows? Um, Alien Arena was developed by Duncan Brown in 1984 to run on the classic Williams hardware. It is a capture-the-flag style game with a number of interesting twists. It was even put on location, but, well, Dun <coughs> Duncan explains all this in his readme. Here's an excerpt <coughs> of, the <coughs> of the history. By, this is Duncan speaking now. By 1984, I had reverse-engineered the hardware used in Williams games to the point that I had essentially created a programmer's guide for it. Destiny called, and I had to write a new game from scratch for this great hardware. Yeah, that's one thing I, I will say about um, the, those games like Robotron and Stargate and stuff. Incredible look and sound and everything. This never really matched by anyone else. Beautiful, beautiful system. Um, back to Duncan here. My original intent was to end up with a conversion kit that was more user-friendly than most. Remember, this was back when conversions were just starting to come into existence, long before JAMA, which is an arcade standard. 
and most of them were a complete mess to install. A new marquee, new side stickers, new control panel, and 12 EEPROMs, and away you go. No messy wiring, board modifications, etc. My production costs would be low. My sale price could be high. Well, that was the plan anyway. Over the course of a year, I wrote Alien Arena. It was written in 6809 assembly language using a cross-compiler on an Apple II Plus, using custom-designed and hand-built emulator hardware, 24, 2K, 8K static RAMs on board connected to the Apple with a custom bus interface. I could test out my code without the slowdown of programming and erasing a bunch of EEPROMs all the time. When I was done, I assembled it into an ex-Stargate cabinet and put it out in the arcade I owned at the time. I made a few modifications, mostly to the computer player AI, based on feedback from customers. I cannot say it was an immense hit. Most people thought it sucked, frankly. You decide for yourself. I know my wife and I had a blast playing it while I was designing it. Probably added six months to the time to finish it. <laughs> a full history of the game is available in the README file, along with instructions on how to put the game onto real hardware. Duncan has also provided a PDF containing a few bits and pieces of history concerning the game. And there's a picture of uh, the side art for Alien Arena, so... I have to play this more. It's like uh, not, now I'm really interested to, to really get into it and play it. There's a whole lot of stuff going on here. But yeah, like that's something I never got into. Like, like uh, I mean, I did do a bit of uh, video game programming when I was a kid, especially on the TI-99 and on a few other systems, making some primitive games. But I remember when we used to have those video game connections meetings back in the 90s, and by the way, I have not been able to get down to the new video game connections because I, you know, my wife is recovering from, from her surgery and I have to stay here uh, to help her. I can't go out to something like that. Maybe in a few weeks, uh, her, her parents offered to stay with her if I want to go somewhere, but in a few weeks I may go down. But anyway, there was this guy, John Donzilla, and he had figured out how to program the Vectrex, right, which was something I never had Vectrex at the time it came out, which was this standalone little uh, system with a vector scan screen. It, just think like the original Mac Macintosh, like sort of a, a, a rectangular square unit with a screen on it, and then you had a control panel, a controls that would come out. It was something I was very aware of and had seen and was really fascinated by, but just way too expensive for me back then. I did get a couple of them in later years, and... Uh, and my friend Dave Copperman had one also. So, like in 1990, when I drove up to visit my brother and Dave up in Rhode Island, he had one in the loft that they shared uh, with a ton of games and stuff. And I know the various emulators have come out for it, and of course, it's all on MAME. And it gets a little complicated because you have overlays and stuff for the screen. But anyway, John Donzilla had figured out how to. Um, program it and I was like how the hell do you figure out how to program a, a system like this and he was making his own cartridges and stuff I think his first one was Vector Invaders because they never had a Space Invaders on the system so he, ma he made a Space Invaders on the system I think you can still find those ROMs of John Donzilla's games um, but like I, I'm technically minded but I never really got to that level where you could figure out how to program and burn ROMs and stuff it's like I just never went there, but uh, so this guy he figured out how to like. I guess the idea is that the chipset, the board, has all of the uh, 
the, the computer and then the ROMs are the, the game program. So uh, I don't know how you would reverse engineer it. I guess you, you understand what each chip does and then you are, you're able to dump the ROMs. That is, you're able to, uh, uh, using a device, you can take the code out of the chips and using another a burn ROM burner, you can burn new ROMs and plug them in. So you could write your own program using this assembly language or whatever. <laughs> it was a bit beyond me. I understand the concept of it, but this this the idea that this guy like reverse engineered the Williams uh, hardware is really amazing and created Alien Arena. And I guess he was the only he, there was only one of them, so he released it to the public. So that's very nice of him. So I'll be checking that out, but. Uh, See, there's, there's more to video gaming than just, you know, buying the latest game and playing it on your, your device. It's like all this weird history and emulation, all sorts of fun stuff. That's the thing, like these, what people think of as nerdy pursuits like science fiction and video games and stuff. It's such a rich field of study, and I love it, and uh, it engages me all the time. So, But I know there's people that aren't, like my brother, John, he doesn't play any video games at all, ever, on his phone, he doesn't, on his computer... He's zero. He's not into games at all. And there's people like that. That's fine if you don't like games. I'm sure there's other things to occupy your time. Are there really? Are there really other things than video? I don't know. I mean, think about the situation now. Like back when we were kids, the video games were enormously expensive. I think like an Atari 2600 was like equivalent to like $1,000 now. And each cartridge... In today's dollars was like a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. Like if you convert it to today's dollar, so you only had a few precious video game cartridges back then. Now, everyone has a smartphone, which has tens or hundreds of thousands of free games you can play on it at any time. <laughs> so, for those people that like games, it's I play games on my phone all the time. It's an endless pleasure. For those that don't like video games, I guess there's other things in life. I know my brother's a big foot, football fan. That really takes up a lot of his mind, you know, football. I don't watch football. I don't follow football. We're talking about American football here, not not the soccer football. But I don't follow any sports, really. But I understand for people that don't play video games, they need that sports thing to occupy themselves. But are there people that are not into video games or sports? That's a good question. What do they do all day long? I don't know. All right, it's later on now on the porch. So there's going to be an eclipse tomorrow. Doesn't seem to be anywhere near here. I don't know if we're going to get a little bit of the eclipse. I'm not sure. Uh, <coughs> but it's interesting because there's two eclipses, I guess, this year and next year. Uh, it sort of forms an X on North America, and the center point is right around San Antonio, Texas. <coughs> So, it does look like San Antonio is getting uh, the full deal, the the full, complete, uh, what they call ring of fire eclipse, I think. It's a solar eclipse. The moon's going in front of the sun. And this one, let's see who gets it. Uh, Oregon, south of Portland, down into Nevada, Utah. Uh, down through New Mexico. So PQ. It looks like PQ's... Uh, he's slightly out of it, but I'm sure he'll see a large portion of the sun covered. 
T or C is Albuquerque is getting it, but truth or consequences is a little bit outside the path of the complete eclipse. Now, of course, there's a couple years. You know, I don't know why all these eclipses never hit New York or New Jersey. <coughs> Obviously, there was one a few years ago. You can look up an episode called Eclipse Episode where I was in uh, uh, Bryant Park when uh, the eclipse happened. I had the eclipse glasses, and it was absolutely amazing. What an amazing moment to see a full solar eclipse once in my life at least. Yeah, so this one, yeah, goes down then uh, through Texas, Odessa, Corpus Christi's getting it, and then it goes on down. <coughs> um, so I know I have to look up see how how much it is in New Jersey. Because, uh, I, to, I don't know if I have any of those eclipse glasses. I know I have them somewhere, but to look up and see sort of the moon covering the sun slightly. And then the next one. So that's tomorrow, actually. Yeah, um, the next one is Monday, April 8th, 2024. Not too terribly far away. <coughs> and this one also goes over San Antonio, and then it goes up uh, past Dallas. Austin's getting it uh, up into a portion of Oklahoma, Arkansas. Little Rock gets it. Then into uh, Kentucky, Missouri, Illinois, Evansville. Indianapolis gets it. Uh, Ohio, Cleveland gets it. And then tiny portion of New York and Pennsylvania and it's up Burlington, Vermont gets it and then uh, uh, New Brunswick, Canada and looks like PEI gets a little bit of it too, Prince Edward Island Uh, I'm sure we'll get a lot more of it here but let me see Eclipse in New Jersey I I, I don't know if it's even going to be worth worrying about let's see (coughs) Mm-hmm. So yeah, next April we're going to get near total. So we're we're I mean, we're not on the path of the total, but we'll get near total. Uh, uh, let's see how to see it from New Jersey. We're going to see a partial solar eclipse. Um. <coughs> Trying to see what percentage we get. One twenty-three p.m. tomorrow. Twenty-three percent of the sun is shielded. So, yeah, yeah. So we get about about twenty percent. <coughs> Maybe a little. Yeah, twenty twenty percent. Next year's one will be much closer. But yeah, there's a little bit of a eclipse tomorrow. Yeah. I'll, maybe I'll check it out. We'll see. I don't know. What, what's, what's the weather for tomorrow, though? Is it going to be cloudy? If, if so, we're not going to see much. Much eclipsing. Let's see. Tomorrow, oh, rain, cloudy all day. Great. Great. No eclipse for us. Oh, well. Get out of here. Come on. <coughs> you know. Rainy. Yeah, that... Uh, 1, 1 p.m., let's see. Yeah. Rain, a 93% chance of rain. Yeah. Well, good. so, well, you know, it's only 23%. What do you want? <coughs> but for those of you in Texas, I hope you enjoy your, your eclipse experience tomorrow. Indeed. Yes. 
Anyway, with that, I want to thank you so much for patching into this episode of the Overnightscape. Much appreciated that you are listening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I am your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey. And uh, you can find us, of course, in OnSug Radio, broadcasting from inside a book. And just go to OnSug.com. In this time period, to find all the information you need, all the latest shows are up there. There's many hosts and many shows. There's also the the amazing archive of all the shows we've ever done. You can find that on the Internet Archive. It's also called OnSug Radio. We have over 11,000 episodes, over 14,000 hours of material. It's all free forever. It's a non-commercial project. We're very focused on preservation. We have a unique style, as you may be able to tell. And it's been going a long time. And uh, keep on going. Your voice can be in the archive in a show called Overnightscape Central. Just uh, check out the latest episode at OnSug.com. Yeah, go to OnSug.com for all the OnSug needs and wants and hopes and dreams. O-N-S-U-G.com. Look, Scream Truck. It's an ice cream truck you can uh, you can have come like on an app or something. Scream Truck. I, I checked them out. They only have like like two vegan flavors that look pretty nasty. I don't know. They're, they're, they look all right. Like some <coughs> weirdly specific like I was like rock, not really Rocky Road. That has marshmallows, but there are vegan marshmallows. But I digress. Of course I do. Anyways, uh, go to onsug.com. Onsug is just short for the Overnight Escape Underground. Um, if you're in the future, right? To, I envision the form of this project. There probably won't be .com websites anymore. So it'll just be a book called Onsug Radio, and that you'll find that, and then it will contain all the audio. In some way, shape, or form, it will contain the audio. That's the dream. That's the vision, right? Because we know websites are not going to be around in a thousand years. Is it going to be like dot-com websites? I don't think so. But it's in the form of a book, which is something that has in, inherent in it is a sense of uh, permanence, right? Uh, longevity. It's, it's a type of object that seems to persist much longer than other objects, like, you know, um, it's very common to find books from the 1600s, 1700s that still exist, you know, um, because somehow the paper persists and it just is an object you don't want to throw away. It's very valuable. Whereas like other things from the 1600s, like socks or whatever, probably not too many socks from the 1600s. You know what I'm saying? What am I saying? I don't know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Per- permanence, perpetuity, continuance, what have you. Radio is, you know, in the past was a very ephemeral media, the right uh, medium that uh, it was broadcast and then it was gone. You know, so you know that's how broadcast used to work. Radio and television. You turn the you turn the broad, you turn the transmitter on. Someone sitting there speaking into a microphone or talking into a camera. Broadcast out, but it's not being recorded. You don't necessarily you don't have to record it in order to broadcast, right? So most broadcasts of, of those sorts have been lost because they weren't even recorded. And some of them were recorded, and then it's the maintenance of those recordings on wires, tapes, transcription discs, what have you, um, film. You know, it, it, it's very hard to preserve stuff. Now in the digital age, right, preservation is both easier and harder. It's, it's easier to uh, save uh, 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 dig- um, digital information. All of these shows are digital. They're ones and zeros, right? We generally use the MP3 format, and um, but 
you need to continually uh, migrate the data from drive to drive, right? You know, like a hard drive, a flash drive, an SSD, whatever, is only going to last so long. So the data is, is there, but it just needs to continually be uh, transferred. So it, is a, it has an ephemerality if there's not a, a, a process of, uh, of copying, which you could help with, of course. If you're there in the future, please do help preserve the data. Maybe you have a perfect data system that preserves it forever, hopefully. But our, our goal is to have this shows our shows here, our archive here, currently over 14,000 hours. Hopefully, we'll get a few more thousand hours in, uh, a lot more thousand hours in, hopefully. Uh, <coughs> and I think people in the future will get a kick out of these shows. I really do. That's the concept. All right? Your voice can be in the archive. Just uh, check out Overnightscape Central, as I mentioned, and... Uh, you were invited to record for the shows. The next topic is sitcoms. So who doesn't have a lot to say about sitcoms? Uh, probably younger people. Sitcoms are not as important, but sitcoms were very important growing up. One of the essential aspects of television besides, you know, the half-hour sitcom, very important uh, form of television. I don't think it's super relevant anymore to me personally. I don't know if there's any sitcoms that I'm watching. Uh, I don't know, but um, am I watching any sitcoms anymore? I don't know, but you can always go back and watch a show like Cheers or something. I, I remember I started watching Cheers on one of the streaming services. I got the first 20 or 30 episodes. Really, that's a great show, you know. Everybody knows your name. See, I would have been in Boston where that was take, took place, but I didn't. I didn't go to Boston last weekend. Anyway, I know this weekend I'm going to Chicago. Well, not actually. I'm, uh, a fish is performing uh, tonight, which is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night, three nights in Chicago. <coughs> so, I'll be watching that. I'll be streaming it. I will not be going to Chicago. I'll be streaming it. Anyway, major American city, just like Boston, Chicago. I should go. I, I need to go to Chicago, too. I, I have never been. I was near there, but I didn't go into it. I've been near there a few times, but I didn't go into the Chicago city limits or what have you. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. If you have stuff to say on sitcoms and who doesn't, please record and send it into PQ. All the instructions you need are in the show. <coughs> Listen to the current episode, and you will get the instructions on how to participate in the next episode. Thank you so much. Ooh, what kind of bird is that? That's a cool bird song. Do it again. Nice. Did it hear me? It's just the timing. One more time. One more time. Seven. Seven tones? Go! I can't control the birds, damn it. They're uncontrollable. They only sing if they want to. All right, one more time. Come on! No. No, that's a car, not a bird. Are there cars named after birds, like the Skylark? The Buick Skylark, is that a thing? Is that a thing? The Eagle? Oh, Eagle was a brand of cars too, right? Yeah, Eagle. A Falcon? Was there ever a car called the Falcon car? There should be. Like, was there a Condor, like the Dodge Condor? The Sparrow? I know I'm missing a bunch. Pelican? Well, it's probably more like boats or something. 
maybe boat trailers, you know, those trailers you put boats on. Maybe this is called like the Daihatsu Pelican trailer for a boat. Listen, man, I gotta wake up. Let's all wake up and enter this. The other side. Disney's Leave a Legacy Sculpture. A focal point for Epcot's exciting millennium celebration. It's a lasting record of this special time, a symbol of the past meeting the present, with a bold look toward the future. The Disney Imagineering team that designed the sculpture reflects the same combination of past and present as the sculpture itself. The enthusiasm of some of Disney's newest talents was guided by 60-year Imagineering veteran John Hench, one of Walt Disney's original Imagineers and a key visionary behind the ideas and attractions of Epcot. The Leva Legacy sculpture is one of the first times Disney guests themselves will become an integral part of an Epcot attraction. It takes just a few moments to participate. Simply visit the imaging station near Spaceship Earth anytime during your stay at Epcot. Then, through the magic of digital photography, your images will be added to the sculpture. Commemorating this special moment at Epcot is just the beginning. A collectible souvenir certificate will be mailed to your home. You can continue your legacy by accessing the living legacy at Disney.com, part of the Go Network. The living legacy will allow you to record your family's personal hopes and dreams for the future. You can also add digital photographs to your living family tree, certain to be a lasting symbol of a bright tomorrow and a tribute to a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Disney's Leave a Legacy Sculpture. Share the memories. Share the magic. Start your own family legacy at Epcot.
en voyage. Tu pars où alors National Cable Month, featuring the best in cable programming. And to celebrate, Pizza Hut presents the new Grand Pan Pizza, a never-before combination of ten great toppings. But it's only available for a limited time. And right now, you can get one for $9.99, or a second for just $4 more. So, while you're enjoying cable's best, you can also enjoy our best. Pizza Hut, making it great. motorcycle riders get together to let the good times roll, it's easy to see who's having the most fun. The ones riding a Kawasaki. Let the good times roll, now! The Comedy Channel. We have no motto. The Comedy Channel. You laugh until you stop. Comedy is our middle name. The channel would be our last name. Yeah. The Comedy Channel. Three-dimensional programming on a two-dimensional screen. Brought to you by a one-dimensional person. What the hell? Mottos come and go. The Comedy Channel. This isn't Russian. But we're always there when you need us. Get the picture? The Comedy Channel. The Comedy Channel. Funny. Free.
Iggy says we're his favorite band. You hear that, Friday? <laughs> That's right. We're your we son's all... favorite band. <clears throat> I think we should all take a moment to send positive vibes. We got the message here from Bob Squance. S-Q-U-A-N-C-E, that he's waiting for his wife to go into labor. Very exciting. So, Bob, we're going to give you a fish community second of good vibes for the beautiful life that is about to start in your family. And lots of love to your family, to the Squants family. All of my love from all over the people who are all watching are all thinking of you in this moment. Okay, now Brenda McCormick should go get her lemon chicken out of the oven. Oh, she did. Uh, Brenda McCormick, you need to take your lemon chicken out of the oven. Of the McCormick Spice Dynasty, by the way. I mean, of all the people to not take their lemon chicken out of the oven in time. And uh, uh, Devin Gray asks... How come Paige and Fish never get to jump on the trampoline? It seems a little unfair. Life's unfair sometimes, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> sometimes I kind of want to, want to jump on the trampoline, but most of the time, no. They're just so good at it. How come uh, Mike, Paige, and Trey never get to suck on the vacuum cleaner? Because life is unfair. Because we are the ones that read about the germs that live on the lip of that section. I never read about them, so I don't know. And what I don't know doesn't hurt me. Plus, you don't suck on the it's vacuum cleaner. That's the, the problem. What's that? You don't suck on the vacuum cleaner. That's, that's the problem. That's why you can't do it, because it sucks on you. Yeah, you, you can't you try to suck back. You just lose. That's pushing the river. You hurt yourself that way. story for the last of the lost bards up on the Colorado mountains in the snow, chopping some wood, keeping warm, and rent the rest to take a nap. Meanwhile, in the meantime, it's all about the never-ending endeavor, with enough to get on with, and it's all about getting there. And now is all there is, now is all we have, waiting on a whatever, waiting on a whatever. It's too far to turn back. They say it's free because it's broken. It's easy because it doesn't work. It's a giveaway because it's leftover. And tomorrow the leftovers taste twice as better. 
itinerant's museum, the lost and found play hide and seek. The invisible man steps outside of someone else's shadow to declare today's the day unlike any other. Today's the day when all men become each other's brothers. They say today's the day when we see as one, we're all looking through the eyes of the sun. Meanwhile, in the meantime, it's all about the never-ending endeavor. of young lads from father-absent homes who are desperately waiting for a big brother. Surely you can spare some time for these boys. They're right in your own community. You'll be surprised what you'll get back. You may even learn to play again. Just contact your local big brother office. Tell them Big Ben sent you. Friday on CBC, Dallas. JR, what is it? What's wrong? It's Daddy. He's real upset. Then the network with a difference. SCTV. Hello, I'm John Houston. I've been directing Shelley Winters all day long. And what do they give me? Light beer. Top entertainment with Dallas and SCTV. Friday starting at 9, 9.30 in Newfoundland on CBC. The Fifth Estate with Adrian Clarkson, Eric Melling, and Bob McCune. Tuesdays at 8, 8.30 in Newfoundland.
KSA for colds. If you take this trusted medication to relieve aches, pains, and fever, you're doing the right thing. If you want a dry or runny nose and clear congestion, though, you also want an antihistamine and a decongestant. Try the Dristan Pluses. Proven ASA plus relief of nasal miseries, too. When you look at Dristan from all sides, it really adds up. Relief plus relief plus relief. This is Lauren Green. CBC's news magazine became the cradle, nursery, and hothouse of TV journalism in Canada. Toronto Star. A CBC public affairs program like no other in North American history. Maclean's. Canadians are journalistically adventurous in a way that does them proud. The New York Times. And now, The Journal, starting January 11th, weeknights following The National at 10 p.m. This was probably the first magnifying glass, a globe filled with water. David Suzuki, Wednesday and the evolution of the microscope from its earliest days. How does it allow us to see the nature of things, then spectrum? Recently, the native artists of central Canada have begun using their sacred images and legends in their artwork, rekindling their pride. Spirit speaking through. The nature of things and a new season of spectrum starting at 8, 8.30 in Newfoundland, Wednesday night on CBC.
I believe that America has always thrived on adversity, and so I can foresee only good ahead for this country, despite my personal sorrow at leaving public service and leaving many objectives incomplete. Under this administration which you have chosen and in which I have been privileged to serve, the longest war in America's history has been brought to an honorable end, and we are within the best chance for lasting peace that the world has had in a century and a half. Both the abundance and the quality of American life are pushing to new highs. The resignation of a vice president, for example, is insignificant compared with the death of a president, particularly one so great as Lincoln. But I can't help thinking tonight of James Garfield's words to an audience in New York just following the announcement that Lincoln had died. Garfield, who was later president himself, was only a young army officer at the time of that great tragedy in 1865. But he saw clearly where his country's strength lay, and he expressed it all in these few words to a frightened crowd. He said, Fellow citizens, God reigns, and the government in Washington still lives. I take leave of you tonight, my friends, in that same sober but trusting spirit. God does reign. I thank him for the opportunity of serving you in high office, and I know that he will continue to care for this country in the future as he has done so well in the past. The government at Washington does live. It lives in the pages of our Constitution and in the hearts of our citizens, and there it will always be safe. Thank you, good night, and farewell.
It's April 19th, 2005, and somewhere right now, a child is shining a laser pointer at his teacher's boobs. Someone's getting detention. You're listening to Daily Sonic. I'm Ani Katz. Today's episode is brought to you by PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, Karma Loop, an online urban and hip-hop clothing and fashion store, the Make Trade Fair campaign, making sure that farmers and other workers in poor countries get a fair deal, and InSound, an online music store for indie rock, punk, electronic, and more. Links to our sponsors can be found on our website, dailysonic.com. It's everywhere. On the farm, in the office, in the barbershop, indoors and out, at work or at play. It's always with us, in the busiest and the loneliest parts of the world. You can visit dailysonic.com and call our listener line, 877-SONIC-LINE. 28 hours a day, 7 days a week. I'm Adam Varga, and here's today's rundown. You can simply fast-forward to any of these segments. At the 2-minute mark, Ani brings you today's news. At 5 minutes and 45 seconds, Isaac Dolan works his science magic to put 28 hours into a 24-hour day. Thank you, Isaac. At 11 and a half minutes, Aaron Taylor Waldman brings us part 2 in this week's music series on Bangra. At 17 and a half minutes... I've got an evil corporate plan to ensure Coca-Cola's worldwide domination. Now all I need is a dark business suit. At the 24-minute mark, our one-minute serial radio drama, Fuck You, Robot, celebrating human-robot diversity for over 25 years. At 25 minutes, Aaron discusses the latest album from Venetian Snares. And finally, at 33 and a half, Centerville, Utah in the house.
Well, folks, here we are by the fireside, and uh, you're about to listen to an album, and it's a story about all of us, you know, and there's three of us and our adventures for a year and a half. And, uh, well, the House of Glass, man, it's like, it's self-explanatory. Okay, so we go from there, you know, like, that's the opening theme. We get to Born in the USA, oh, a piece of apple here. Man, and you see what that done to us, man. This man, you know, just messed us up. Once again, man, is like, it's about chicks, you know, how they get messed up. And then when you really wonder, <laughs> yeah, if everyone gets messed up. Well, you know, so we kind of devise it ourselves a way to straighten it out, and we come up with a means, you know, that's the next song. And uh, you get straight, you know, you get straight. And... Uh, and come up with, uh, do you remember, I'm reading these, you know, do you remember, because <laughs> I forgot my story, <laughs> okay, do you remember, which is a beautiful song, because you've gotten straight, man, but you've been on the road too long, and so you want to see your woman, man, now, you know, I don't care where everyone's at, everyone's got a woman, so you really, you know, right into it, I want to see my baby, but when you come home, man, that woman is a scene, you know, like some women are evil. And this was written about a chick that was a witch, man, because, like, someone came home and she was waiting for it and did her witchy trip. So, man, I got, to, you know, you have to straighten yourself out. So you go to Passage 17, and, you know, you read into that a little bit. You know, Mr. Happy Glee is what happens after you see the passage. And then, uh, guess I'll let you go. You get straight, you know, and a gorn, that's it, you know. We blow out all the stops. Quick thank you to Richie and Bill. Good night. <laughs> The computer says, step onto the train, find a seat, the car is dimly lit, the train starts through a tunnel where you can catch a glimpse of some kind of neon sculpture or art through various metal beams. You don't have the right angle to see it though, it's pink and cyan neon. Maybe some kind of words or animal shapes, you can't be sure. Exit the tunnel into the night. There's a highway nearby, few cars driving by. And then swerve away, misty night. The street lights veering off in an angle seen through fog. Over the intercom, the conductor says, you won't be the same when you arrive. That's the point of train travel.
And now a weird from your sponsor. Well, the next time you're hunkering, why not drop it into Dub's Particle Board Restaurant featuring a Spellmorgasbord menu. All you can read for just four and a half dollars. Belly up to the spinning rotunda and select from vibrating concaves of cottage cheese, continental plates of ham moving at you in tectonic fashion. And there's a whole reservoir of gravy awaiting your approval. And I'm sure you'll give a nod to the whirling peach cob dervishes. And pylon. As many helpings as you deem necessary. And when you want more, just get out of your chair. It's there behind you, and we don't care how many times. Our hole-in-the-wall crew chefs will reload an equator full of new portions to move before the wanting retinas of waiting patrons. Yes, there's soft drinks and coffee and bottomless cups and for dessert. A senses-shattering selection of pies and a pudding that just won't quit. And there's cabinets of ice cream under analysis and an aisle of soup bowls. Ah, yes, that's Dubs. Particle Board Restaurant. We don't remember what shopping mall that's located at.